So this is the episode we're talking about politics. It is. Hi, I'm Jeff. This is Break Drink, political, and things you're not supposed to talk about and play conversation. Yeah, so if you're one that needs a trigger warning, we're talking about politics and religion and immigration and um, things that we don't even know yet. So those are the things we know we're going to talk about. So, um, And maybe money, because we're not supposed <laughs> to talk about yeah. money, right? Yeah. Um, so, Laura, how much do you make? No, just kidding. Um and, and also, we're going to try to keep this in, in 30 minutes. That was our goal, right, to have, like, 30-minute nuggets of podcasts, and we achieved that once. But our guests were really good, so it was hard to cut those guests off when yeah. you're having fun. We could double it with more voices. I think that's okay. Yeah, so let's let's jump back to a couple weeks ago when Julius Arce was here, and uh, Laura talked a little bit about being um, a permanent resident. I believe that's the status you have here. Yes, and so she's legally in this country, but she's not a citizen. Her husband has become a citizen, and I guess her, your husband was a was a, a PR before. Yes, we're before both that. immigrants to this country. And so, so how, um, so how are you feeling? <laughs> um. I get job notifications sent to me from colleagues a lot from Canada and Europe and Australia. So uh, I'm okay. I'm okay because, and I think we want to include talking about money and other things of a a middle class wealth. Um, I'm a white individual living in this country and I think I'm highly skilled and educated. So some things that are going on, um, impact me but don't but then I don't really have a voice in this country per se in terms of voting so um, or running for an office I guess a local office it could be a, a governor and yeah like there's things that um, I'm not going to say it's not my problem because it is because I live in this country but I, I don't think I have all the problems that we're seeing rise up in the issues so I'm not going to be at a Muslim registry I'm not going to be on the DACA list or the Dreamers or held back at a border for now. Um, for now. For now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like John Oliver said it best. Uh, he's also a permanent resident, not a citizen yet. He said, hey, they can make a decision not to want any of us in this country anymore or relook at the green cards that are out there for everyone. Um, but they seem to be very targeted and targeted by race, race, religion, um, country of origin, and we're not on that yet because uh, my pr- fine prime minister was just down visiting with Trump, and they seem to get on, and Ivanka seemed to love him in photos. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. It's true. Yeah, so this has had a weird effect on me. So um, I grew up in a smallish town in uh, West Texas, um, I understand I hold most of the privileges of that you can hold in, in this country, except I was not <clears throat> wealthy. That was like the only, only one I was, mm, I don't know if there's like, I was in the lower side of middle class growing up, I guess, like the paycheck to paycheck to working 
people, you know, it's very much how the middle class is now, like not a lot of savings um, and kind of just making it month to month. That's what's kind of my upbringing in a lot of ways. And um, I was super conservative environment, though ironically that was back when Texas was primarily a Democratic, uh, voted, they voted blue. The Democrat um, needs something else back then, I feel. Well, we didn't talk about, it wasn't social issues, really. It was, you know, it was more of a fiscal and, you know, LBJ is a, an example of what like, a Texas Democrat was, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it was, it's, it's interesting how that's completely changed. It changed fairly recently, and, um, and Richards was a Democrat, was a governor right before George Bush. And uh, since that time, the election, I don't know if it was the first election or George Bush, the re-election of George Bush, like all statewide offices have gone Republican, have not changed since then. But we were generally, um, Texas is a very, um, it was a very moderate state politically. Like it, it, it was very centrist. It, they, a lot of people got along. Um, some people would probably... Um, Disagree. I think the disagreement would be uh, certain time periods over certain issues, but but generally, um, there's a lot of centrism. There wasn't there was not the extremes that we have uh, we have now. Um, so that's, so that's, I was gonna go say, ahead. Mike, growing up, um, I grew up with more than one party, and I guess I always wondered that about the U.S. and having a president and not being in the parliamentary system, why there was only two parties, dominant parties, and. When you grew up with a country that has probably three dominant parties, but other parties like independent and green that are active or communities and collectives that come together, you kind of wonder, well, why isn't there more choice? Like this is the country that has, as my undergrad roommate put it, she visited me in New York State, upstate New York when I was at Niagara University for grad school. And they went to the Wegmans and she's a food science major. And she said, there are 24 different types of Triscuits out there in flavors and size and but you only have two choices for political parties. So I don't really no. get that. Like this yeah. is a country that has it and could have it. I know some people who might be listening, um, one of the dozens listening might say there are third party candidates, but but honestly the third party candidates aren't, those aren't better choices for me either. It's not like there's, um, I know there's people that are running that may fit more of their value systems around third party, but the candidates themselves are not people I look at. And I think like, I really want to get behind them. Um, if there was, I would have no problem being a third party um, person. I, I don't feel like I'm really a party person in a lot of ways. Um, I think I've always been kind of in the middle on the spectrum, and the right has moved so far right that has moved me marginally to the left. Um, and so, um, though that could maybe that's going the other way too. I don't know. Maybe that's not fair, but. Um, yeah, I, I, when I went to the the Netherlands, the first thing I studied, the first thing they told us, they were explaining how Dutch people are fine um, coming to consensus about whatever. Like that's just kind of in their DNA, and they have I think it's eleven or thirteen different political parties, mm-hmm. and the one with the most power has like thirty percent. So there's no one dominant. So if you never came to consensus, like nothing would really ever happen. So they that that's kind of in their their DNA of doing that, and so it was that was that was like the first thing I heard that made me like, huh, maybe I should live here um, instead. Which I'm sure we have an entire episode on that at some at some point. Yeah, we could talk um, about living somewhere else wherever we live. <clears throat> yeah, but I think um, you're right though. You you said it. The 
the idea that it's this or that, or it's black or white, or it's one or the other doesn't exist anymore. And I don't think it's like, I don't think it's fair because you can't say that X party, whether you're Democrat or Republican follows this thread because within a party, we know there's so many fractions and differences and disagreements. So if they could form their own little subunit, I bet you between (coughs) in each um, Democratic and Republican, Republican side of the house, they would have some areas of dissent and breakdown and coming together. So I think about the U.S. in terms of geography. So if the country was to be split up into X amount of small countries, could it function like the multi-party system? Probably, because a country like the Netherlands or where my partner's from is Ireland, like what we could have, I think it was 17 Irelands in Texas alone would fit in the landmass. This country is so large that can you have a two-party system, a Congress that supports all the needs, and I think some some of the, some of the election results were coming to a head that you can't be serving everyone, and maybe only certain people were served by the two parties were, that were there, or the, the leadership that was already around before Trump came in. Someone had done this. I think there's a book about it. It's like the 11 uh, Nations of America um, and how it would be divided, um, how it would be divided. Um, so there's like the left coast, which is, um, Portland and uh, Washington, and then all along the upper Northern coast of California. Um, so in the mountain range, like divides the left from the right, the far West is basically everything else, except for the, the, the border South from uh, California over to New Mexico is El Norte. Um, it, and that actually includes me and San Antonio would be in that. Okay. Um, uh, I think just north of where we are, I think I think Austin would be include, included um, in part of the greater Appalachia. And so it would kind of go from like central Texas and up and over east. Then there's like the deep south. And then there's like the very tip of uh, Louisiana, which is called uh, New France. Nice. Um, I want to live in New France. Yeah. <laughs> And wait, wait. There's, there's a, there's another one you might want to live in. Um, so north of the, north of the Greater Appalachia is the, uh, is the Midlands, and okay, then, and then north of that is, um, Yankeedom, which runs like, like the whole northeast from Maine all the way down and across Michigan and across, not quite to the Dakotas, but maybe like the, the edge of the Dakotas, um, right there. So, so Minnesota would be. Um, in there. Um, the DC area is Tidewater. Um, it goes into Delaware and part of like part of North Carolina and part of Virginia. And then north of that, north of Tidewater and Great Appalachia, but south of Yankeedom is New Netherlands. Oh, you thinking I want to be in New Netherlands? No, France has better food, better wine. Um, they're snooty. They got culture. Come on. I want that. Oh, you're going for the snooty. Uh, but you're, you're, are you, are you French Canadian? No, I'm not Quebecois. Oh. I do speak the bastardized uh, French, and so if you ever work in France and you're Canadian, they know you are because they're like, "Oh, you are from Canada, aren't you?" You say le weekend, we say le fin de semaine. You are so lazy. No, they don't say that, but they think that they know it. <laughs> it's totally fine. I I blew my cover there when I worked there. Well, geography. I forgot. I forgot where we were going on to that. Oh yeah, so. I want to go back to this. So geography puts in, I think, a lot of perspectives for a lot of things. Politics is one because 
depending on where you lived or what's going on in your area, like we both live in large cities that did fairly well when the collapse, the economic collapse of 2008 hit, the right. housing boom busted. I'll be honest, uh, San Antonio, Dallas, and Houston did fairly well. We ha- we saw a lot of influx of companies, people, work. I lived here as a non-resident, and I had like three or four jobs I could easily get into. So it's not like we had a lot of issues. Um, we also didn't have a lot since 2008. Where we live in a big city, like we've had a lot of growth and opportunities. But if I think of being in a small town, whether I'm in West Virginia or Carolinas or Ohio or the Dakotas, what happened there with industry and what happened with um, maybe a, a plant or maybe just businesses, did they stay? Did they thrive? What happened to them? Like, so I think about like, this wasn't a, I'm surprised this happened, but there's been these issues of turmoil, both economically. And then let's go the last year, two years, um, racially, demographic wise, there's lots been happening that have been coming up for a long time and not just in the last eight years. But um, I think it's come to a head and people have voted that way and voted to say, we want something else than what it is. Although I don't know if it's the right answer myself. Yeah. So, so part of me is um, part of me based on uh, where I lived and where I live now and where I have, I've been politically, I can really understand or see how someone is on one side of an issue, regardless of whether I agree with it or not. Right. Because I think a lot of times we're shaped by like where, like where we're standing or our past or history, et cetera, et cetera. Like those um, play into it and we can be reshaped in a lot of ways, but a, a lot of times, but, but for, but for me with, with where, how I grew up, I really, that's one thing this election has had this like effect on me, like this, this kind of hangover. Um, I, which I don't, I don't tweet about this a lot or I don't chat with it on the, the podcast, but like, I'm a, I'm a devout Christian. I have, uh, that was the most, like influential thing in my life, uh, mostly. Um, and the fact that, um, the evangelical community overwhelmingly voted for Trump has really like rocked me. And, and when, if you look at like the academic definition of what an evangelical is, like, I can't escape the fact that I, I fall largely in that definition, even if I don't agree with a lot of, um, how they apply it or how they, Applied to like specifically applied to politics, and so I, I'm I'm I kind of have to be in that category per se, though that that category has been questioned like what does it even mean anymore, and it's, it's been interesting over the election. There have been some Christian leaders that were very outspoken against Trump um, from the get go. Like he's not like he doesn't represent us. Um, he's not going to be good for us. He's not a moral cho- choice. He's an immoral person. Um, and those people have gotten pushback, and some of them have lost their positions, either within their church or within their organization, because they didn't go along with the party line. And I don't want to go into the whole theology of like the Christian right and when it happened and all that kind of stuff, but I've been kind of railing against that for a while. But it's <clears throat> the thing that really... Um, surprised me is um, this was pointed out in an article, a short article in New York Magazine, and we'll link about to this in the show notes. Um, and this is this was taken from different research, but basically what was, what's been surprising is not 
as how it used to be that the the Christian evangelical voting bloc influenced the Republican Party. And now it's Donald Trump as influencing the beliefs of the Christian voting bloc. So when Clinton was in fact, uh, in office, um, they were outraged by the moral shortfalls of which, as all people probably should have as should have been, um, and they said absolutely if you like if you're immoral in your um, personal life, you can't be a good effective leader in your public life. Well, now they made like oh no, you can have these shortfalls and shortcomings and still be a good leader. Like you can like have a um, a wall that Mexico is going to pay for to divide those things in your life. And so just because you're, you make like poor choices in your daily life and you're corrupt, you can still be like a good public leader. And that was just so like heartbreaking to hear how, um, the, the people's theology isn't influencing their vote, but their votes influencing their theology. It's interesting you talk about morality and, connecting it to a religion and connecting it to a state because religion and politics should be separate. So I'm a history kid. I grew up studying um, history and how things were developed and developed by the people. So whether it's been a religion whose initially was the background, the backbone where people were governed and lived by a moral code and countries and towns and villages were set up by the religious leaders and so a good example that probably where it still existed for a long time was in ireland and until the fallout of the priests who were taking advantage of young children in the christian brothers school and that poured over to the u.s and other countries um everyone trusted in the church and whatever the church said and told them how to vote that's how they voted and it wasn't until two years ago they voted in um, what is it, the first country to vote in um, gay marriage, marriage equality, and only up until about 15 years ago it was it was legal to be divorced in Ireland because the church ruled everything that governed politics, laws. So I find it fascinating to hear, um, and I and I believe it's very powerful for a, com a community and a religious group organization to give momentum and give power to anyone political, but does it belong there? And I grew up in, we had our founding fathers were confederation. A lot of them were French Canadian, British, um, all over, but they were all of a Catholic background. So if you go to school in Canada at a Catholic school, uh, which I did growing up, uh, I was Roman Catholic, it's free. So it's not a private school. It's mm -hmm. either you go to public school or Catholic school, both free public institutions funded by governments provincially. And you got Good Friday off, Easter off. Those were just national holidays. And those were a given. So we do have other um, private Christian schools, perhaps, or Jesuits, or just private in colleges, but it's not common for students to go to a private school. You don't need to, um, because it's more top down from our province, at least in Ontario. And so I think about if there was ever any influence of someone talking about a religion or morality or anything to do with government, that's just so, that's so foreign to me because we were taught that you're not to mix those two anymore because there's a difference and Navarin falls the same. I guess, besides moral code, religion, spirituality, and it's just very separate within politics. Well, yeah, and back with our, our founding fathers uh, here, like like the churches were the ones who wanted to have separation because they came from, um, not that they, um, they came from a place where they had a state-sponsored church 
and they wanted to have to, to have the church that they wanted to have here. And so but when when we got to the U.S., 11 of the original colonies like immediately sponsored a state church. Rhode Island, so a lot of churches mm-hmm. like Baptist, for example, like which is my kind of my upbringing, it came into America through Rhode Island because Rhode Island was like the like the only open state that allowed multiple religions, uh, multiple yeah. religions. So probably a lot of religions kind of came through through Rhode Island area into America before you know the, we adopted the Constitution and adopted that freedom. And I think it was Thomas Jefferson's letter to the church, the First Baptist Church of Danbury, and I could be making up a name. Um, where where the separation of church, the the term separation of church and state was coined and we kind of like lived with. Um, now it's like a term of convenience for for a lot of religious organizations. Um, and it, if we ever have time, I could go back to the the nineties when we created the Christ, the Christian right and all these uh, Christian organizations thought that if we could just get someone elected president, we would be better off. And I think that was really the downfall of um, where we are now. I think, I think basically like from then to now led us to this president of, of, of church leaders and ministry leaders saying that we need to vote this certain way. It's more aligned with our faith to get to where we are now. And they've really been, I think, used and pandered to and not really had anything go around to them. I was happy um, after the uh, religion ban, the travel ban came up, that, that many, many extremely conservative organizations spoke out against it. Um, and if there were pastors that supported it, like Franklin Graham, uh, Billy Graham's son supported the travel ban. Um, like they were, they called him out on it. Um, he was being like, like taken to the carpet for it. And so, um, several, um, and, and there were, there were some that have been like anti-Trump the whole way. So not to say that there weren't, but that was the thing that really kind of seemed to awaken like the, uh, a lot of the leadership and a lot of, uh, people to, to speak out against it. And part of me, part of me was like, I wish you were here two years ago. Um, but I was, I, I was more on the side of like, welcome, you know, welcome to the side. Um, and hopefully they, they will keep the pressure up, um, with, with that. Cause you know, refugee resettlement has been, um, it's something that's like clear it re- being kind to the strangers clearly in the Bible. Uh, many times it's been a, a, a huge work of the the church in America for decades, um, and so you can't. It, it's it's really letting go of a lot to um, to side with that travel ban. So I think it's complicated for um, like a religious or spiritual leader to be a part of anything's going to be decided at a national level because this country and the people are very complex. And there's no this or that or we should follow this because they have X, Y, and Z kind of standpoints. I think it's complicated. I mean, you and I talked about this, so I am not as religious now. I was raised a Roman Catholic, and I kind of questioned things at a young age. So when you're 12 and you leave a church and you ask your mom, like, because like, I used to pick apart the sermon and say the priest contradicted himself here. He said this, and then he said this. And at that point, my father's like, shh, you don't need to go back. Uh, <laughs> don't upset your mother. But like, I had questions. I said, this doesn't make sense. Or, yeah, I probably just said a lot of questions. And he was like, don't rile your mother up. But she finds um, good value in being part of that community. And so I could respect that. And I understand why she does. Um, and I don't, because I have different 
disagreements. Although current Pope is pretty cool. Um, so if I was going to get back aboard with Catholicism, I would, and he's in some good football and he's done some, uh, just different things that have kind of pushed the boat a little bit where Catholics are. Um, but I do Wait, think, is he, is he a football fan? Is that what saying? Oh yeah. He's from like South America. He's awesome. He like he su- he supports differences and being different. And so yeah. when you come from, I think from from this religion and Catholic Catholicism's really like whoa whoa whoa. We have our traditions from the Roman times. Um, you can't just say you're okay with gay people, LGBTQ. Like we're not okay with that. And the current Pope is like, I can. I'll wash their feet. It's fine. And yeah. I think. It has it has some basis for community and being with others and finding fellowship and I think there's purpose for reflection, but I also think there's some discrepancies and you and I talked about about this. So what if you align yourself with a church or an organization or a spiritual or whatever you do, and uh, they have a different point of view on maybe two pretty critical issues that you are either involved with or it's really important to you based on what you do your work your life and i have friends like this that are thinking about it whether it's their sexual orientation to their origin to wherever they've said i don't feel as safe in my space where i go and worship so Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that so yeah i had a, a huge crisis of church several years ago because um it was when i went to arizona and they were voting on whatever marriage support laws that would when when basically they want to have laws to say by the way you still have to be like heterosexual to get married right it's like it was like those rounds of laws that were happening and there was um a debate in town and so a colleague of mine went to the debate and and they um they were openly uh gay and married gay and married with a partner or I don't even think it was a subway. I think they just had a ceremony to express their marriage, but not legally, of course. And uh, they came back crying because this church from Phoenix bust all these people into the thing, and they were acting um, in a very non-Christian way and were just being mean. And this was not like the Fred Phelps church. It's not like the which, which is just um, I even like. Everyone, everyone understands that like the Fred Phelps people aren't like a normal church. Like they just have this own special hatred to them. So this is like, but it's like a, a church in in, in Phoenix, um, and it really was hard for me to 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 think that like I love this person, but these are kind of my people, um, and 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 not that I would agree with it or do it or participate or partake in that, but but like I probably have a lot of similar shared beliefs. Um, as that as that group of people, and like how like how do I resolve? And it was hard to resolve these these things. Um, so I was so being being an advocate in a place that people don't want you to be an advocate was hard because at the same time, like that's my spiritual community. It's you know my friendships that are there, and so over time, I will say that over time, that has been less of an issue. And I think really it was the Supreme Court hearing two years ago whenever that happened that was really um the a lot, largely a lot of people were kind of like okay I'm like i don't know what to, and i think they're probably having the same issues i was having you know a decade earlier um 
I, I think it's um, it's it's hard. I mean, it's um, in politics we are not taught to be critical thinkers. We're taught to go along with our party, and there's a, there's blatant hypocrisies that come along with that. Like you want to fight to have, you know, creationism taught in a textbook, um, which I would not fight for that. But people want to fight for having creationism taught in a textbook, but they want to deny the fact that climate science is a thing. Right. So like, like I want people to think that this is this that this earth was created by God, but I don't want us to like really take care of it. Right. right? So it like should not be like eighty six <clears throat> and I'm running outside and sweating in February. Exactly. Where we leave, even in Texas. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um yeah. If it was eighty, I would be okay with it. But eighty six is just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not okay with you either, actually. Yeah. Or like, um I'm I I I want to, um, I'm, I'm not for the woman's choice to choose. I'm, I'm for, um, I'm pro-life, but I'm not going to make sure this child has a, a great education or health care or is raised in a, in a crime-free environment, right? right? Like, because there's still these systemic racisms of redlining, which happened like back in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s to, to that. And also, I'm for the death penalty, right? So there's all these things that like, that are contradictory on both sides. Sure. And we've gotten so dogmatic and so legalistic in our political beliefs, it's hard to have a reasonable conversation with anyone because not believing in the thing that you want them to believe in is a personal affront to you and you don't wanna you don't want to have a conversation with them or talk to them about it. But I think that's the problem is these uncomfortable conversations and topics, like things we're not supposed to talk about was the joke that we were going to bring up. But it really is those things that we should be talking about. So if we're not really comfortable or not really aware, we need to have some discussions. And sure, they have to be recognized that you yourself have to take care of you. And I think you and I kind of let this topic sit so we could digest, um, kind of reflect a little bit and think about what that means. And it means something else to others that could listen or hear this later. And I think the other, the other area that we mentioned was money. And I think some of what we're talking about goes back to money in both topics, politics and religion. I think there was an impact and an influence from both areas and funding from both areas. So, um, whether it's been a government, uh, politicians uh, flooding other politicians, or church financing, I think we have to think about like how this was backed and how this was funded. And I, I just think it's so disappointing for these elections to go on for so long and the money that's wasted um, or raised and spent for nothing versus like most places have six to four weeks and that's it and they do it. It's, yeah. it's not a two-year process. This money's obscene. The the amount of money we spend on a campaign is just crazy. Yeah, and I think I'd like to get into the topic sometime, but, but maybe we'll leave this one for later. Is we're going to talk about the question that everyone asks. They always go, which I think is boring. Like, what do you do? Is the question like, what do you do? What do you do for work? Which is also um, code for how much money do you make? Yeah. Or who are you and what's your status and. Uh, I think it's kind of funny if that's the first question when you meet someone in a conversation or they're like, by your affiliation, what are you? Like, by what company, what org? And uh, it's been funny to hear my partner or myself, I've heard myself introduce myself differently and I'd I'd leave off a title or what I do. I was like, oh yeah, I just, 
I look at stuff, I research it a little bit. And Fear goes, why don't you just tell me what you do? I was like, why do you have to be so vague? I'm like, because people make assumptions based on a role, a title. And I have friends that are in all different walks of life. So blue collar, white collar, no collar. Um, that I think to them, it puts in a status and a money symbol. And we should talk about that sometime, but I don't want to, if you don't have time now, then. Yeah. Hey, uh, I have breaking news. What? Um, uh, Nerlens Noel just got traded from Philadelphia to the Dallas Mavericks. What? Yeah. I think we're losing some too. Probably. But it, it has to be a huge upgrade for you. This is a Spurs coming to the Mavs, for those who don't know. Jeff. No, he's, he's from Philadelphia. Is he from Philly? Yeah. Oh, that's going to be good. We need some uplifting folks. Jerks out. Yeah, so. Mavs, Mavs are... Mavs. Mm. Masses aren't good. They were good like a few years ago, 2012. Yeah. Then they thought they were going to get like, a big free agent. They traded away their team. Uh, we do have to, before we end, we have to mention a podcast because I think we at least talk about one podcast before we leave. Yes. And I listen, to hear this. I listen to Sampler and okay. a few different podcasts because I know it's ended now. And Sampler recommended... A few different podcasts, and one of them I listen to is with Pete Holmes. He's a comedian, actually former Mormon, left the church after him and his wife, things didn't work out. And he has a really long-form podcast with comedians. And they're not it's not like it's a funny podcast, but it's a podcast of on the inside with like Aziz Ansari and yeah. uh, Judd Apatow and Tig Natari. And uh, yeah, they're just co- good conversations about... He talks about his comedy, sex relationships, and God. Like, those are the three areas that he usually mm-hmm. asks about. But it's interesting to, like, as I was running today in sweltering heat, I was listening to Aziz talk about, like, just do good things. Like, do things and do it well. And that's how you get noticed. And, like, it's just very much, like, career advice, life relationship advice, and comedy. And I thought it was kind of nice. I thought it was cute. Yeah, It's long, so, though. So, I will say it's long. So, Sampler's done. Yeah. Is that right? That's yeah. sad. Well, no, she, um, Brittany, is going to have a new podcast. That's why she's done. So they have other plans. Alex and her talked on the last one. Okay. And he said, oh, no, stay tuned. Like, she's coming back with her own podcast. Um, and they haven't said what it is yet, but they're working on it. You know, one of the things, whenever we talked about, like, the, the state or the, uh, the changing of podcasts in the last uh, five years or so. Yeah. Um, one thing I really neglected to say is podcasts podcasts are far more uh, diverse now than they were before. Um, like, and and there are things like uh, Code Switch or about race and you know things like that that are like that are um, that they're diverse because they're talking about diversity or race and that's fine. But there's also things like you know Prime, still Prime still thriller. processing yeah still processing to the queens um another round um Note to self. Uh, and and Brittany Luce also yeah, yeah. which are are people like more diverse voices doing um media and, and podcast specifically so she, her sampler is about 11 episodes we'll put it in so you can take a listen so if you're like I want to know what diversity in podcasting is. A range of different types of podcasts. And, and they yeah. introduce little clips. And if we had our own intern, we'd do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to, like, do a lot of extra cutting and editing work. And... No. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. So we'll just mention and link it.
sounds good. Good, yeah, because Gimlet um, killed another podcast called Mystery Show, which was this really weird, bizarre um, show, which was I just loved it with it was with host Starly Kine, and she had a she had a and the thing was she had to solve a mystery, but not something that you could like. One, it can't be like a real mystery, right? Um, and two, it has to be something you can't like Google and figure out. So one was like this one person found a belt buckle and she had to like find the owner. One was like this video store closed down and she has to figure out what happened to it. So there's these like bizarre quirky things that we don't really care about, but but because she has this like endearing personality and she's funny and yeah. witty, like it's kind of just drew you into the show. And they did like six or seven episodes. It uh, went away after that. And... Why did they kill it? I listened to the one where she investigated for an like a really not published author was a, her book was being held by Britney Spears in some photo. Yes. And she yeah. had to go and like truck down Britney Spears at her uh, Las Vegas show and had 10 minutes with her. They, they didn't really say, um, but, okay. but season one was done and it, it probably has something to do with the fact there was startup and cash and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, all their shows are super ambitious. They yeah. just have, they have one called twice removed which is uh, yeah, I haven't listened to it yet. Is it yeah, good? author AJ Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Um, it is is really good. Alex Bloomberg's wife is one of them, and I can't remember her name, but she, but she talks about how her family immigrated from Iran. Um, and I listened to this, you know, a week or two before the travel ban, and it it's was such a timely um, show to listen to all the the crap refugees go through to get here and why they're coming here, um, and yeah, so it's uh, it, it it it's a great show, but also like as soon as you get into these shows, like oh, this is the end of our first season, and it only had like seven or eight episodes, right? And so then you're like having to wait for a year or so before you hear hear anything else. No, there's to- tons of podcasts. Okay, we'll we'll continue this. We're gonna stop now. That's our recommendations. We'll drop them in the show notes. But we hope you enjoy and go explore the podcast land. And if you listen to some and we should know about one, tell us. Jeff needs oh. more. I have one more request before we leave. Sure. Um, several years ago, there was a a I think it was like '09, maybe '08. There was there was a NASPA presentation that got a lot of buzz about being conservative and being in higher education. Um, I I would love to talk with people or have guests on this show that fit in that area, and because because I feel though I'm not I would not say I'm super conservative. I, I'm 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 moderate in everything. I don't know. Maybe I'm more liberal than I'm giving myself credit for. But I think there are, depending on what school you work for, it could be hard if you're in that position. I'd love to talk with people um, who want to come on the podcast to uh, talk about being a professional. Um, being and, conservative. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There, that's a minority in higher it's, ed. Yeah, as far as those who work in or are faculty and. Yeah, especially in this current political situation, and I'm not talking about people who like work for like a Christian school per se, but like if you work in like like a public a public campus, it would be um, interesting uh, interesting to talk with you. We'll put a little email us in the notes, and uh, yeah, get back to us. Yeah. All right. Well, the next time we podcast, I think it might it could be in person. We'll see. Could be. Could be. Until next yeah. time. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye.